G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the Round 18 Preview Edition. Of course, we are always proudly brought to you by Palmerbet. Play the punting advantage this footy season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. Well, we're getting very close to the pointy end now and uh, some big games coming up this weekend and a little bit of certainty in the fixturing to the AFL on Tuesday evening, announcing the schedule for rounds 19 and 20. So a little bit more certainty, hopefully, for the next couple of weeks compared to what we've had the previous couple of weeks. Plenty more going on in the football world. We're going to preview all the games Got one review to do, of course, from Monday night, the West Coast North game, and a couple of fantastic footy flashbacks. As I say, very good morning to my co-host Mark Fine. How are you, Finey? Yeah, I'm well. It's getting busy, isn't it? Both with us having to do a review as well as the previews and the AFL ladder getting very busy, nice and tight down around seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Well, in these uncertain times, as far as the top eight goes, it's great to have certainty about your choice of fast food. And you know where I'm talking about. Yeah, I certainly do. Go straight to 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park, for a guaranteed great burger. Andrew's Hamburgers. We do get new listeners to the podcast every week. And for those of you that haven't heard about Andrew's Hamburgers. They're in their ninth decade, 82 years young and still producing award-winning hamburgers. They top just about every list of best burger in town. So consistent are they and so darn good. Andrew's Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park and a similarly fated organisation or company, we would say, are West Point Properties in southeast Melbourne, in the southeastern Melbourne they are the people to go to for a home renovation, a home rebuild. Nick Bartels and the team, what an eye for detail, what quality they provide. And if you want the sort of house that when people enter, you get the old jaws dropping, that's the house built by West Point Properties. Thank you, Nick Bartels and team, for your support. Well, you certainly appreciate certainty in your home renovations. Nothing worse than having your home done up and going to walk through the front door and finding a brick wall there instead. And uh, we guarantee you Nick Spartels <laughs> won't do that to you. It's great to have certainty in statistics too. And one group that will always provide that is Stats Insider. They are a sports and data-driven industry leader providing model projections and analysis for more than 15 sports across the world, including this year's British Open, which tees off Thursday Australian time. Stats Insider simulates an event 10,000 times to best understand both the range of possible outcomes and the probability of each result, along with their famed pre-match and in-game projections 
Stats Insider is also known for their full season projections, and they are creating a lot of interest at the moment. Recently, we've seen St Kilda, this will cheer you up, finally jump from a 7% chance of making the finals up to currently a 34.6% chance. Stats Insider is also home to some of Australia's best independent sports writing and analysis. Everything is free to use on the site, so check them out at statsinsider.com.au and give them a follow while you're at it on Twitter at Stats Insider. All right, hope to get through this morning. Let's get into it. On Footyology, Newsfeed. Well, I thought we should start our news wrap-up with uh, our very own real-life version of that great Australian play and movie, The Club, because... uh, not too big a secret to, to say that the club was based very heavily on the Collingwood Football Club and it was all about political intrigue and shenanigans going on. And there's shenanigans plenty going on with the Pies at the moment. In fact, they're showing a remarkable tendency to uh, have a little catfight just when things start to turn for the better. And it's happened again. The Pies, of course, a great win over Richmond last week. And uh, you'd think, well, maybe the focus will go back on the field. Well, it hasn't because it's blown up again at the start of this week. Uh, Incumbent President Mark Corder has accused supporters of Jeff Brown, the alternative president of running a smear campaign in an attempt to get the board to hand him the presidency after they accused the club of not being prepared to accept a petition to hold an extraordinary general meeting. Now, Mark Corder and the board released a very strongly worded statement, which came after lawyers representing a group of members led by Francis Galbally, there's another famous Collingwood name, lodged a complaint with the misconduct and breach reporting team at ASIC that claimed the club was not adhering to their requirements under the Corporations Act. I just want voting members' names, Galbally said. But Mark Corder and the board have taken umbrage to this and their statement said, among other things, smears such as this from Francis Galbally are an attempt to bully Jeff Brown onto the Collingwood board and hand him the presidency that he and his supporters believe is an entitlement. This could not be further from the democratic process the members are asking for, uh, as you might expect. Jeff Brown has now returned fire, denying that he is a bully and claiming, I've always said I'll offer myself for election if an opportunity arises. This is a move by a member to get hold of a list to ensure that everybody knows the numbers required to petition for an EGM. I'm not being bullied or bullying anybody. I will watch and await the outcome. And if there is an election, I and others will stand. I believe that the members should be able to exercise their democratic right to call a special meeting to elect new directors. Now, if you don't barrack for Collingwood, you might be sort of glazing over at this point and thinking, well, I don't care. But the fact is that in their search for a new coach, this is a major sticking point. Obviously, uh, whoever the uh, permanent replacement for Nathan Buckley is, needs to be uh, backed by the board. And uh, you would say, given that the incumbent group has brought forward their annual general meeting, I think to early December, 
Um, what happens if they get tipped out having appointed Buckley's replacement? So this is an ongoing drama that uh, I'd suggest the Pies very much don't need. What do you make of all this political skullduggery, Finey? I agree that for non-Collingwood people, I reckon even for Collingwood people, there is a certain amount of, you know, so what? But as well pointed out by yourself, there is a process here and chronologically things need to fall in place and the announcement of a new coach does interest the football world. One tends to feel, I, I don't know, that the tide of power and reputation might be hard for Mark Corder and the incumbents to hold back. Nevertheless, they are going to fight tooth and nail. That is something that we can garner from the latest round of, or the latest spat, the latest to and fro. And Collingwood can ill afford to wait until after December to announce the new coach. So I think they just have to really, whether it is the quarter group or Brown group, go with the coach that the current board select. And that selection should be made I think it's always best made before the trade period, don't you? I do. Uh, I think it's always best made by the group that's actually holding power as well. Um, So interesting to see how that pans out. One interesting dimension to this is that you'd think Collingwood looking for a coach, that would be a story that would be dominating the headlines, but it really hasn't. Um, We've had some more names emerge. Uh, Michael Voss, seems to be uh, growing in popularity as a serious potential candidate. And the other one that initially bobbed out of left field but uh, is sort of gathering a bit of steam as a suggestion is Don Pike, who uh, is apparently impressing as an assistant at Sydney. Obviously, it doesn't hurt that Sydney's having a, a terrific and unexpectedly successful season. And the name Ross Lyon won't uh, go away either. I wonder if that's got anything to do with the fact that he sits next to Eddie Maguire on the footy classified desk and does seem very keen to agree with a, a lot of what Eddie has to say. The other thing, I'd, the other point I'd make finding in terms of the politics is that if I was Mark Corder and co, uh, I think the first thing I'd be doing is tying Jeff Brown to Eddie Maguire in every conceivable way I could because there may not be a lot of love for the incumbent board, but I think there is generally a feeling among Collingwood people that uh, Ed had run his race and also that Jeff Brown uh, being a very close mate of Ed's and having already said publicly he would consult Eddie on a lot of important stuff involving the club. I think that has people a little bit wary as well. So uh, the coaching position in itself uh, sparking plenty of speculation, but um, there's a lot to be played out in this saga, isn't there? There is, and I think for Collingwood, more dignified would be the way to go because at the moment it looks to be a little too public and a little bit too much like that early reference of yours, the club. All right, well, we move on. Uh, I did mention we have some certainty around fixturing now. The AFL releasing the draw for rounds 19 and 20. Uh, Just one game out of those 
18 matches in total to be played, still to have a venue um, set aside for it. Uh, what do you make of the the latest two rounds released? Have we got any major surprises there? No, not really. There's, again, another interesting game to be played down at Geelong, Sydney versus Fremantle. And I don't think Sydney would mind at all have the heading down to Geelong, would they? After their recent journey there? Well, they've won uh, four of their last five games there now, including the clashes with the Cats. So their record there is pretty good. Yeah, and certainly being served up another WA team seems very, very tasty. Um, no surprises. I think there's only really, I think in round 20, there's one venue yet to be confirmed. But otherwise, there's a great deal of certainty, isn't there? That is uh, for the Giants against Port Adelaide. That game Correct. is scheduled for Sunday, August 1st. Uh, probably likely to be played on Mars again or at Mars. Mars Stadium, Ballarat, of course. So we wait confirmation of that. Um, I wonder, are you a bit disappointed in these two rounds they haven't scheduled Thursday night again? Because... It's definitely struck a bit of a chord Thursday night, and at least in terms of a uh, TV audience. And I thought that having Thursday night as part of that schedule might offer them a bit more flexibility as well. Yeah, I think so. And I think it's an opportunity missed with such a large captive audience in New South Wales to take an advantage and really promote Thursday night Australian rules football or something to turn the TV on because we know for the time being that the people of Greater Western or Greater Sydney, not Greater Western Sydney, Greater Sydney are housebound. So I am surprised that they haven't taken the opportunity to attract some more eyeballs, as the marketers like to say. Another story of note, uh, obviously we've had a catalogue of serious injuries this year, but I think one of the more significant ones this season, the confirmation on Monday that uh, Brisbane key forward Eric Hipwood has done an ACL. Not only will miss the rest of this season, but you'd think a fair chunk of next year as well. Now, Chris Fagan, Brisbane coach, rightly points out they were able to make do without Lockie Neal for a good six weeks, I think. But there's something about this that just makes me think, oh, gee, it could be a fatal blow as far as their flag hopes go. Hipwood has averaged, I think, 1.6 goals per game this year. He's third in the goal kicking. Certainly increases the load on Joe Danaher. And the other thing that worries me about this is the paucity of replacements just in terms of key forwards. Now, uh, Fags was speculating about who might come in for Hipwood. And the two names which emerged were Tom Fullerton. We've seen a bit of him and he's been reasonably impressive. Connor Ballenden, the other one, although he's got a bit of a slight hammy, so you'd think he might be doubtful for this week. But both those guys, they're not natural key forwards. They are more ruckmen and they've got to fit into this structure, kick their share of goals and really alleviate the um, the strain on, on Joe Danaher. The other point, here too, coming off a unexpected defeat against your Saints, is they've got Richmond at the MCG this week, and their record at the MCG, I think that is a real concern. In fact, it's so bad, they've lost 17 of their last 19 games on the MCG, including the last nine straight. Their last victory at the MCG, Brisbane, 
was all the way back in 2014. So that's going to be an issue in finals. But I think this uh, forward setup could really be an issue for them. How do you see it? I think a lot of people are particularly concerned because what happened in that game against St Kilda after Hipwood went off, his direct opponent, Tom Highmore, became instrumental in the St Kilda victory, floating around that back line, cutting off attack after attack with intercept mark. Of course, that is a situation that can be rectified at the selection table. Now, Tom Fullerton's a ruckman, Rowan. He was certainly given an opportunity earlier on in the season. And whilst he might provide the structural height for the forward line, he doesn't have the mobility or the goal now that Eric Hipwood has. So simply putting somebody in the forward line because they're over six foot four, I don't think is going to solve the problem at all. Connor Ballenden, we've seen back of centre. He doesn't strike me as a forward, but maybe more likely to be able to fill that position. You know what? I really believe this means it's time for Daniel McStay to become less structural and more visible. I know that might be hard. I know that he, the role that he plays is a particular one, but I think he's going to have to play further from goal, cover more ground and become a more mobile tall forward. That may help go some way to alleviate the loss of Hipwood because I don't believe Connor Ballenden or Fullerton are yet ready to fill those positions. Yeah, I, I agree. It's certainly testing time, Solon. Look, they, they've certainly shown a tougher, more resilient streak this year, but uh, this one is going to test them, I think, every bit as much, if not more, believe it or not, than the absence of a Brownlow medalist in Lockie Neal earlier this season. So we wait and see the strength of that response. Uh, just one more item on a specific player and uh, deserves note because he's been an absolute warrior. And that is the announcement that Geelong captain Joel Selwood will play on next year, signing a new one-year deal. He is set to break former Carlton skipper Stephen Kernahan's long-standing record for games as captain next year. Uh, a one-year deal, it will be his 216th game as captain on Thursday evening against Fremantle. Only needs 11 more to surpass that record held by Steve Kernahan. And next year uh, will be his 11th as Cat Skipper. He's 33 now, just recently turned 33. But fair to say his form this year is uh, right back to his best. He's averaging 24 disposals a game and record high numbers of contested possessions. Now, I reckon his form was a little bit of a concern towards the back end of last year, but uh, he's been flying this year, and I don't think anyone would have looked at the announcement of a, a one-year extension and uh, thought, gee, that's a bit of a stretch. Spot on. That's uh, well summed up. I think this time last year you might have been asking whether or not he could go around again, but he has proven not only to be resilient and worthwhile for a spot in the team. He is an essential part of that team, a vital midfield cog, and they wait, await his return. He's only had a short break and they were able to win the game against Carlton, but without Mitch Duncan, I don't think that they could really be a serious premiership contender without Selwood. So enough said. Bring him on and send him around one more time. 
And just on that list of most games as captain, Stephen Kernahan leads. It's pretty elite company. Two games behind him on 224. Dick Reynolds, Nick Rewalt on 220. Selwood is on 215. And beneath him, Ted Witten, 212. Michael Voss, 210. Matthew Pavlich, John Nichols, Wayne Carey, Trent Cochin, and Paul Kelly. Gee, you're talking about a roll oh, call of some of the greatest players the game has seen. So, well done, Joel Selwood, and uh, great to see him still cranking out his best at 33 years of age. All right, there's enough news. We've got some big previews coming up, but first, we need to tidy up the previous round. On Footyology, wrap around. Well, it was a long round, round 17, but it finally wrapped up on Monday evening in Perth at Optus Stadium with a game between West Coast and North Melbourne. I think uh, most of us expected a fairly predictable result. Well, it was anything but because it was a fantastic win to the Kangaroos. Clearly their best performance of this season. Very gritty stuff indeed. 10-point victors over the Eagles. The final scores, 10-10-70. The Roos defeating West Coast, 8-12-60. The goals, three to Nick Larkey, two to Zerha. Two to Goldstein, singles to Thomas Cunnington-Stevenson. And for the Eagles, two to Kennedy, two to Allen, two to Ryan, singles to Langdon and Kelly. Well, West Coast dominant early in pretty trying, wet conditions, but could not hit the side of a barn. They were 3-10 at halftime and led by just eight points. And the Roos got a sniff and big mistake, West Coast, because the Roos came charging back into this. Three goals to none in the third quarter. West Coast unleashed a burst of four goals in I think six and a half minutes at the start of the last term. But again, the Roos dug in their heels and big Todd Goldstein taking a goal square mark and effectively sealing victory for the Roos. A famous win for them. And one which, uh, well, if the Eagles' flag hopes weren't already extinguished, you've now got to wonder whether they're even going to finish in the final eight. Very significant result indeed, Finey. Yeah. I mean, I'll talk about North in a second, but... Funeral marks for West Coast. You'd almost hope they're not in the eight, honestly. If, if that is the sort of performance they're going to trot out and it was all summed up did you see Elliot Yo tearing strips off McGovern with a poor defensive effort there seems to be some infighting there they really have inexplicably fallen off the face of the football map haven't they that performance against Sydney it, it, down in Geelong if that wasn't enough to gird the loins and guarantee a four-quarter effort against North Melbourne what was yet to lose at home to the bottom team on the ladder suggests that there's something endemically wrong at West Coast. And it was really full credit to North Melbourne. Cunnington, fantastic. I mean, but the, the, the truth is, here's a side that just kept coming at them. You've got to be impressed by Nick Larkey's ascension through the season. We know Cameron Zerha is dangerous. And if those two youngsters continue together in the forward line, then the future remains quite bright for North Melbourne, doesn't it? 
It does indeed. And I'll tell you, it's also confirmation that, like, how many years in a row now have we seen whoever's on the bottom of the ladder get torn apart by the critics and people speculating about, oh, the worst side football scene since Fitzroy in 1996. And they were saying it about the Roos earlier this year. They got taken apart by the Bulldogs on Good Friday by, I think it was 128 points. And they were terrible, but their back half of the season, well, really, ever since they jagged a win against Hawthorne, their form has been, at the least, very, very competitive. Um, and some of the kids are really starting to show their wares. Geez, I like Cam Zerhar. He's got a, a real X factor about him. Um, he's a bit of a terrier. He's the moustache, you know. I like the aesthetic. He's a big plus for them. Aaron Hall has been terrific for them all season. I think he's return to his best has been a, a little bit unheralded. And as much as their young players have shown a bit, their senior players have been terrific for them this year. Zeeble, Cunnington particularly, big Toddy Goldstein still getting it done in the ruck. And I thought he embarrassed Nick Nat Nui late in that game. Certainly when he took that big grab in the goal square, Nick Nat was nowhere to be seen. So, um, you know, they're working hard. They're getting starting to get a bit of return for effort. As far as the Eagles go, well, just having a look at their draw, they've got Adelaide this week. But, boy, it's bloody tough for them after that. They've got your mob St Kilda at home, admittedly, but the Saints are a different proposition now. They've got Collingwood at the MCG, and they've certainly given the Eagles trouble. And they finish off with Melbourne, Fremantle in a derby, and Brisbane away at the Gabba. So I'll tell you what, they have got their work cut just staying in finals contention. It's been a pretty consistent um, effort by Adam Simpson as coach in terms of getting them in the finals. They haven't missed since his very first season as coach, 2014, but they are in a world of trouble, Finey. Do you reckon they'll make it? Look, I thought they would have on the back of a, a little bit of breathing space by winning on Monday night, but I don't think they will because I... I I really think that they can only, they're only going to win three of their last six at best. And I don't think 11's going to make it. No. And as I said, why would football want West Coast in the eight the way they're playing? So I guess, I guess the sort of the general feeling is pack your bags, get out of the eight, move aside for a team that's got some prospects. Well, I certainly need to find something this week and they have Adelaide away at Adelaide Oval. Well, they've got to win that. They have got to win that. And North Melbourne, meanwhile, takes on Essendon on Sunday afternoon at Marvel Stadium. All right, that is round 17, finally done and dusted. And we've got a big round team, round team, round 18 coming up. Let's preview it. On Footyology, previews with Punch. Round 18 kicks off in Perth Thursday evening, 8.10pm Eastern time, and it sees Fremantle taking on Geelong. Very, very interesting game, this one, with Fremantle now back in the top eight. Can they stay there? Well, uh, they're not favourites, even at home. Palmer Bet telling us that head-to-head, the Cats, pretty warm favourites, paying $1.55, and the Dockers, not often there, Outsiders by this far at home paying $2.47. Stats Insider tell us the Cats are still their premiership favourites. However, they've struggled a little bit this season outside of Victoria, 
already losing three of four assignments on the road. As for the Dockers, this is just the third week from the last 42 rounds that they have found themselves in the top eight. And that's courtesy of a really strong midfield group led by big ruckman Sean Darcy. The Dockers rank sixth for hit-out differential and third for centre clearance differential, while 38.1% of their possessions this year are contested. That's the fifth best figure in footy and in sharp contrast to the Cats, who are only 17th as far as contested, sorry, uh, centre clearance differential goes. Interesting stats, uh, Viney, uh, injury-wise, what's happening for both these teams? Well, pretty steady as she goes at Fremantle, which is good news. Ethan Hughes, who we haven't seen for a little while, is ready to come back through the waffle and young Brandon Walker might make way for him. The big watcher is at Geelong because Gary Rowan, and we know how important he is in that forward line, particularly without Jeremy Cameron, ended up on the bench against Carlton with a cork leg. Now, it's only a five-day turnover, and we know that Geelong have been careful in how they have used their older players. Joel Selwood should benefit from the rest that he had against Carlton. And we know that they, towards the end of the season, are very conscious about overexposing some of their older players. Will Gary Rowan play? I'm not 100% sure. We know Joel Selwood will come back into the side. So we wait to see how that plays out. Maybe Charlie Constable could come in. I thought Max Holmes did pretty well. Does he hold his spot in the team? Uh, There's also Luke Dalhouse to return to the side. So quite a few options there for the Cats. I'm not exactly sure which way they go. I think Selwood and Dalhouse will come in. I reckon they're going to try and play Rowan. And we just have to wait and see who misses out. Maybe young Maxie Holmes in the gun as they build up towards the side more reminiscent of one that will play in the finals. What an exciting game this is to start the round. We know both of these sides are playing for big, big, big prizes. Geelong for a top four spot and, of course, Fremantle for a spot in the eight. And both sides look capable of fulfilling that contract, but, of course, they can't both win on Thursday night. It's going to be a tough ask for Geelong. The trip to WA sees them meeting Frio in about as good a form as we've seen them in recent years. That forward line is functioning, even without Tabana. Lobb in good form. Tracy providing the foil. Fife was fantastic in his milestone game on the weekend. And along with Mundy, Brayshaw, Sarong and Chera, gee, that makes a pretty powerful midfield. And I think that's where the Dockers can win the game, especially with Sean Darcy leading the way in the ruck. We know that the Cats' ruck has been a problem, and I just can't see how Geelong, with an inferior ruckman and not as much depth in the midfield, can get enough ball up forward in the right way to service Hawkins, who may be on his own. No, I'm going to go for Fremantle at home. I was impressed with their win on the weekend, obviously against lesser opposition in Hawthorne, but they seem cherry ripe for a crack at the eight. So Fremantle for mine by 11 points. Now, I can see this being a thriller, actually. They, they were impressive. I mean, albeit the opposition was only Hawthorne, but they, any win in Tassie for them is an achievement of sorts, given this shocking record down there. And they did it in, uh, in pretty slashing style. So that was impressive. They come back home. 
Uh, some interesting figures about this is another of those uh, clashes of two teams in the hardly ever play each other cup. They've met just seven times in the last six years. So only once have they played twice in a season prior to this year. And um, the Cats' form, though, is pretty solid against the Dockers. They've won five of their last six. Again, however, going against that, their form at Optus Stadium hasn't been terrific. They've had some decent wins in Perth over the years, but not at this newer venue. In fact, they've only won one of five games there thus far. So that will test them. Um, that win over Carlton was a grinding, slogging sort of win, and they haven't had a lot of time to back up for it. Uh, they're not the freshest, youngest team going around. In fact, quite the contrary. So all those things will test them. However, one thing for me stands above everything else. They need to keep winning to make sure of a top four spot. There's plenty of pressure coming on the top four from those teams below. They have to win. They have to make every post a winner. On that basis, I think they're good enough to take the points here, but only after one hell of a battle. I'm going to go for the Cats here, but I'm going to go for them by almost the bare minimum, just two points in my view. That is the Thursday night game, and there is another massive game on Friday evening in Melbourne. Well, Friday night football is a ripper this week after last week's uh, fairly slim pickings. It is Richmond up against Brisbane and it sees Brisbane uh, beset by that loss of Eric Hipwood and a surprise loss to St Kilda last week. And for the Tigers, 12th on the ladder. Hard to get your head around that, but they are 12th on the ladder Real last chance saloon stuff for them. They absolutely have to win this game or it's all over. Potentially a whole era, not just this season. So the stakes couldn't be any higher. 7.50pm Friday evening at the MCG. Palmer bet have Brisbane very much the favourite. How? When was the last time Richmond played at the MCG and didn't go into a game favourite? I dare suggest you'd be going back five years. Brisbane paying $1.47, the Tigers, $2.70. Interesting stuff. Stats Insider say that Richmond's four-game losing streak has seen its September prospects plunge to just 28.6%, according to the Futures model, though they will catch a Lions team coming off a loss and reeling from Eric Hipwood's season-ending knee injury. Since debuting five years ago, Hipwood has missed just three games, while his influence on this team cannot be underestimated. Since being drafted in 2015, the Lions have lost 27 of their 39 games where Hipwood has either not played or been held goalless. So there you go. We had that discussion. I didn't, hadn't seen that stat at that stage, but another reason this could be a significant loss for them indeed uh, sort of stealing your thunder a bit there finally because clearly that is the biggest selection news for either side absolutely so as you pointed out Connor Ballenden has a bit of a dodgy hamstring they're going to go I think with Tom Fullerton to replace Hipwood what that does guarantee though is that Joe Danaher plays 100% of the game in the forward line. So they won't have to drain the forward line of Danaher to support 
the Oscar McInerney in the ruck. In fact, it actually allows... Now, this is the one thing I think that could work out in their favour, Rowan. Oscar McInerney's a pretty good forward. If Fullerton can shoulder, say, half of the ruck duties, then it might be Oscar McInerney, in fact, who fills the breach up forward. And that could be their best option. So definitely Fullerton in for Hipwood. Ryan Lester made a welcome return through the VFL last week, but may need another game before he's right in terms of full match fitness to play in the AFL. As for their opponents, the Tigers, don't expect too much good news on the selection front. Post their disappointing loss to Collingwood, Damien Hardwick made it clear that none of the big-name players that are out are scheduled to return. So maybe young Martin could come in for Thompson Dow. That is only a change at the edges. None of the big names back yet for the Tigers, and they're running out of time. Look, Richmond have lost three games. Well, they've actually lost now four games. I was going to say three games in a row that they just shouldn't have, but I'm going to include the fourth because the fourth game in a row... So Collingwood, um, Gold Coast and St Kilda are just games that you wouldn't have imagined them losing. But now when you think about it, the fourth game in a row that they lost was against the West Coast Eagles. And that doesn't read too well now either, does it? Even though it was in Perth. And that has seen them plummet to 12th on the ladder. Whereas... In that similar period, Brisbane did win three games in a row and the loss to St Kilda was the unexpected one. I've got to say that Brisbane go into this game in a much healthier condition list-wise and confidence-wise than Richmond. So have we got enough faith in the big heavyweights of the competition, Richmond, to turn it around? Well, sorry, they lost me against Collingwood. They had that game under control and really the poor form shown by some of their stars is, is of greater concern as those not there. Coxon not getting the ball, Martin nowhere near as effective as he was, and Rewalt not touching the ball enough means that I don't think that they can turn it around against the side Brisbane that before the loss to St Kilda were top of the heap, really playing as well as anybody. Brisbane for mine by 19. Well, I am, uh, this is it for me. I'm putting it all on the line. As you know, I've shown a fair bit of faith in the Tigers. The form line certainly doesn't recommend tipping them. The quality of the opposition doesn't. But I just cannot believe that they are going to bow out of this season with a whimper. There has to be something left in the tank, albeit in their undermanned state at the moment. And I'm a big fan and student of history. I reckon that Brisbane record at the MCG is a real issue. And again, if you missed it, they have lost 17 of their last 19 games at the MCG. Don't play there very often. And when they do, they don't play very well there. Their last win on that ground back in 2014. The Tigers' record against Brisbane is also encouraging albeit the Lions having won the last two meetings, one of them the qualifying final last year and one earlier this season in round 10 by 28 points. However, they were both at the Gabba. And prior to that, the Tigers had beaten up on Brisbane largely 15 times in a row in a run going all the way back to 2009. That is a pretty compelling stat. It's about all I've got going for me in terms of a Richmond tip, to be totally honest. But again, I just refuse to believe that the form they've shown over the last two or three weeks 
is the sort of form they're going to continue to show over the last six rounds of a season. They have to find something. I'm still confident they will find something. And I am going for an upset here. I'm going for the Tigers, again, by a very narrow margin. But Richmond to win, for me, by six points. All right, big games Thursday, Friday evening, and some big games on Saturday as well. First game on Saturday afternoon, it is at 1.45pm. And again, seeing two non-Victorian sides playing in Victoria, regional Victoria. We are off to Mars Stadium in Ballarat once more. The Giants returning there, a second game in a row after last week's loss to Gold Coast. It is the Sydney Derby in Ballarat. There you go, there's another novelty to uh, write down on your book of AFL first. The Giants taking on Sydney, 1.45 p.m. Palmer bet telling us that the Swans, given their terrific form, are a very justified warm favourite, paying $1.50 on the head-to-heads. Of course, those odds current as of Wednesday morning. You can update them on the Palmerbet app or by going to palmerbet.com closer to game time. The Swans paying $1.50. The Giants, you can get $2.61 on them. Stats Insider say that Sydney's defence continues to fly under the radar, holding the Dogs last week to just nine marks inside 50, easily the Western Bulldogs' lowest of the season, while their 60 points was their third worst return this season. To beat the Swans this season, you really need to be packing some firepower, which is something we really can't trust with the Giants. They've averaged just 66 points over the last three weeks, and ranked dead last in the competition this season for marks inside 50 at a pretty ordinary average of just 9.2 per game. And, of course, a shock loss to Gold Coast last week in the dying seconds of that game. Got their work cut out for them, finally, and going to be tough for them to get back in to the top eight now. A reasonably tough draw And you don't want to be playing the Swans at the moment because they are on an absolute high after that tremendous win over the Western Bulldogs. Any injuries, any form changes we can speculate on for either team? Well, Sydney, they might replace, if anybody, Bell, I guess, is the player under pressure with Rowbottom, or they may go in unchanged after that fantastic victory. Have a listen to this. For the stats of some GWS players in last week's VFL game, where they ran rampant, putting pressure on senior players. Stephen Canilio, 36 disposals, eight clearances, uh, 11 clearances, eight tackles. Matt DeBoer, 35 disposals, three goals. Taylor Broom, 29 disposals, two goals. Matt Flynn, 28 hitouts, 12 disposals. Kieran Briggs, 23 hitouts. Zach Sproul, five goals. Jake Riccardi, three goals. Boy, have they got some players to choose from. Well, I think the certainty there is Canelio. Maybe Canelio and De Boer are certain to return to the team, and I think they will certainly do so. Canelio will come in. Unfortunately, Lockie Whitfield has some delayed concussion symptoms, and he will not be able to play this week. And maybe Finlayson, the in-and-out bad boy of the team, is excused after 
getting a reprieve as a, as a uh, medical sub and not doing a hell of a lot when he came on for Lockie Whitfield. So there are my changes. Sydney are in just such wonderful form. GWS have become the hardest team to pick, haven't they? Losing when they shouldn't and winning some games that you might not expect them to win. So Sydney would certainly have to be on guard and cautious of a team. Well, they do have, a, they have built up a sort of rivalry that does transcend ladder positions. We've often commented that teams like when Carlton, Collingwood and Essendon play each other, you throw away the ladder positions. I'm starting to feel as though Sydney and GWS are similarly matched. So be careful for this one, Sydney supporters, and those think that it's just going to be a steady march up the ladder. GWS will be tough opponents. And I'll tell you what will play into their corner as well. The fact that they did play at windswept Mars last week, that does take some adjusting to. So for that, Sydney need to be cautious, but I just think that that defence performing so well, Buddy Franklin, even though he didn't hit the scoreboard against the Dogs, remains an ever-present danger and also a, a just a wonderful even performance and contribution from all Swans mean that they can beat the Patchy Giants and I think they'll do so by 21 points. Yeah, I think they're good enough to do it too. Gee, that was an impressive win over the Doggies on enemy turf. Uh, you mentioned the rivalry between those two. It's evening up the ledger. It's eight wins to the Giants, 12 wins to the Swans, but that's after the Swans won eight of the first nine meetings. So the Giants have won four of the last five against the Swans, including earlier this year, that great game on the SCG uh, in which the Giants came back at the death and managed to pinch a two-point win. I'll certainly be hoping to channel memories of that one. Can't tip against the Swans at the moment. Uh, they they are terrific. The senior players are giving them heaps. The young guys have got their second wind and offering plenty. And there's still a few of them to come back yet. Uh, it's all ticking over beautifully. And they are. I, I did some number crunching on this and... They're as good a chance of any of the non-Victorian contingent of winning this year's premiership. And who would have said that at the start of the year? It's been a wonderful effort by them. And you're quite right about the Giants. They are potentially the most unpredictable team in the league. Of course, knocked off Melbourne, uh, a performance sandwiched in between a loss to Hawthorne when the Hawks are in shocking form and a loss to Gold Coast. So how can you read that form line? I certainly can't. Uh, Ballarat is an issue. The Giants have been able to have a little bit of adjustment there, but I don't think that's going to make sufficient difference. The Swans get it done for me. I'm going for them by 22 points. That's the first game on Saturday. Let's move on to the second. We have two Saturday Twilight games this week, one in Queensland, one in Melbourne. Uh, let's talk about the one up in the Sunshine State. It's at Metricon Stadium, 4.35pm, and it sees Gold Coast taking on the Western Bulldogs. Not often you'd see these sides playing each other with the Suns coming off a win and the Dogs off a loss, but that's the way it is. The Suns, of course, a terrific win over Gold Coast in Ballarat, and the Doggies lowering their colours at home to Sydney. What do Palmer Vets say about this one? Well, not surprisingly, the Bulldogs remain a very warm favourite. You can get $1.23 head-to-head 
on the Western Bulldogs at Palmer Bet, who will give you $4.20 for Gold Coast at home. Maybe have a sneaky five bucks or so on that one. Uh, the Dogs have lost three of their last six now, say Stats Insider, and have kicked more than 100 points in just one of those games, and that was against North Melbourne. Opponents are increasingly opting for a more tempo-oriented game against the Doggies, sacrificing attack for a more possession-focused game. The problem for Gold Coast is that the Suns don't really possess that kind of style. They rank 16th only for uncontested possession differential and 15th for total disposal efficiency. So hanging on to the ball isn't something they do a lot of and not particularly well. They are at home, however. Uh, the Doggies, they'd be looking for a, a bit of inspiration outside perhaps the last week's 22 after that defeat. Uh, anything in the pipeline for them selection-wise? Well, yeah, big news. Hopefully for them, Aaron Norton has recovered from the concussion. He received a fortnight ago and is ready to go. So as much as Jamara Hagen, who didn't hit the scoreboard or the stats sheet all that hard, showed in dispatches that he'll be a good AFL footballer in years to come. He'll step aside for Norton if Norton's ready to go, and they think he is. But the big news is that Josh Dunkley is right to return. And I see no reason why he wouldn't go straight back in to the AFL side. He had a shoulder injury, and generally that means that they can keep up their fitness as much as you can on the bike or even later later in the injury recovery with doing some laps and running. I think he'll come straight back into the side. Who misses out? Maybe Mitch Wallace, maybe Anthony Scott. But a big pair of ins for the doggies. As for Gold Coast, well, a lot has been made about the knee injury to Eric Hipwood during the week, but Gold Coast had their own very serious ACL. Sadly, Hugh Greenwood misses the best part of a year, and he's a big loss. The tackling machine is a vital part of that Gold Coast side. They welcome back Noah Anderson, but a great pity to have lost Hugh Greenwood for such a long period. Gold Coast, they're in good form. We, we have so become used to the second half of the season being a write-off for the Gold Coast Suns that to see them really not only get wins against Richmond against Richmond and GWS but do so with great character speaks volumes of the amount of work that they're put in to make sure the second half of the year isn't a write-off and the fact that Stuart Dew has the ear of the players because he would be stressing not to look at the ladder position, but to play for pride. And that's exactly what they're doing. It means that the Bulldogs don't have an easy assignment because they'd love another scalp. And this time a really big scalp, the scalp of a side that has sat on top of the AFL ladder as recently as a week ago. But I don't think they can do it because the doggies on the rebound, they're not going to let the season slip up on the Gold Coast. They just can't. They've got enough firepower, certainly with Norton back in the team, to make sure that the Gold Coast will be chasing doggy tail for most of the afternoon. That midfield bolstered by Dunkley looks good. And I think that the doggies will be able to regroup. And as much as they will be challenged by the Gold Coast Suns, get the victory they need to get back on track. It just makes sense. Gold Coast will be brave, but dogs will be the winners by 31 points. Yeah, it's been a, a very quick 
turnaround from the Suns, hasn't it? I mean, the last two weeks, arguably the two best in their history, and that coming right at a time where uh, people questioning their very existence, let alone performance. Um, in fact, I, I think pretty sure I wrote a column to the same effect. So um, it's been a terrific turnaround and credit to Stuart Jew and the players for that. Uh, let's hope they can keep it up in terms of remaining a credible AFL entity. Uh, the history books don't certainly suggest that this is a danger game because the Doggies have won eight of the last nine clashes, or sorry, seven of the last eight against Gold Coast. And in fact, that one defeat, it wasn't at Metricon Stadium. It was actually at Docklands, believe it or not, a couple of years back. So the venue hasn't really been an issue for the Doggies. And of course, like a lot of teams, had a bit more experience on it last year during that protracted hub stay for the Victorian team. So that might be a factor as well. Uh, interesting stuff from Stats Insider. Clearly, there's a methodology about beating the Bulldogs that involves patient, slow, tempo football, and it's not something the Suns are necessarily practised at or skillful enough to pull off. So it'd be interesting to say to see what sort of game style they employ in a bid to make it three wins in a row. I think they can keep the doggies honest for a while, but the dogs... They need a bit of a turnaround and they need to protect that top two spot. Simply must win, cannot drop games like this, and they won't drop games like this. I'm going for the Western Bulldogs in this one by 32 points. All right, that is the one mid-afternoon game on Saturday. Let's talk about the other one. 4.35 at the MCG sees a battle of co-tenants. There's quite a few of them, let's be honest. Melbourne taking on Hawthorne. And Palmerbet telling us the head-to-heads here, well, of course, they have the Demons' red-hot favourites paying $1.09. Hawthorne paying a lucrative $7.50. But, uh, boy, really ordinary last week down in Launceston against Fremantle were the Hawks. What does Stats Insider say? Well... It's the first time in seven weeks last week that the Demons have won both the clearances and the tackle count. While their 19 tackles inside 50 against Port Adelaide were a massive reminder of that nine-game unbeaten start to the season. Melbourne have not only returned to the top of the ladder, but their defence has also returned to number one status. As for Hawthorne, well, they're the league's third worst attack and they're producing a scoring shot and just 36.3% of inside 50 entries, which is a number only North Melbourne are faring worse in. Uh, Got to pull some selection moves here, Finey, but uh, I think injuries taking a toll on the Hawks. What have they got left in the locker? Nothing. They've been hammered, and they've got two more injuries this week that they could ill afford to have because both players have had very good seasons. Scrimshaw cannot be considered because of concussion protocol. And unfortunately, Jyoth is out for the year with a PCL injury and hasn't he had a good season. So big losses there, still no Will Day. And that just leaves their half-back line and attacking run off the back stymied. Blake Hardwick was a late withdrawal last week. 
he's expected back and Josh Morris might get a look in as well. Well, Melbourne, on the other hand, after the loss of Adam Tomlinson, it's been pretty fair sailing, hasn't it, for Melbourne injury-wise? No concerns after their good win last week and they won't make any changes. Yeah, Melbourne are catching Hawthorne at a pretty inopportune time for the uh, Brown and Golds, unfortunately. It's going to be a very tough ask for the rest of the season for Hawthorne. And in fact, with North Melbourne and their great win over the West Coast Eagles, Hawthorne might be fighting a rear guard action to avoid the wooden spoon. The truth is that Melbourne... Well, we've got two teams at the opposite ends of the table, really, for good reason. They're going to win this game comfortably. Ben Brown, let's see whether he can hit the scoreboard this week. Structurally, he looked like the right man for the forward line last week, but he'll want to hit the scoreboard. That'll be a point of interest. And so will uh, the form of Petrarca. He's put his hand up as a possible Brownlow medalist, and he'll be looking for a big game. But these are the sidebar issues in what should be a very easy Twilight, late Saturday afternoon for Melbourne at the G, and I'm predicting that they're going to win by 57 points. They're going to win pretty comfortably, I think. Just, uh, it's not overstating it, talking about Hawthorne's injuries. In fact, I was just having a run through their uh, injury list. They've lost basically an entire defence. Uh, consider the following. Sicily, uh, Scrimshaw, Jaff, Day, Hardwick and Impey. You could pick those six as your starting defence and uh, be pretty happy with it. Well, none of them available. So there's nothing left. Now, Melbourne uh, doesn't necessarily have the most dynamic forward setup, but uh, this is a good chance for the likes of Ben Brown, et cetera, to get a bit of confidence back because they're up against not much at all this time. The other uh, thing that is intriguing about this game is a way the pendulum swings in football. Now, Hawthorne had an absolute stranglehold over the Demons. It was one of football's most pronounced uh, jinxes, if you like. The Hawks winning 13 clashes in a row between these teams between 2007 and 2016. And since then, it's been Melbourne all the way. The Demons now having won the last four against the Hawks. That run, including a final, of course, the uh, elimination or semi-final, sorry, back in 2018. They certainly made short work of the Hawks earlier this season in round five. Also at the MCG, a 50-point margin that day, doing it on the bit on a Sunday afternoon. I see this one being fairly similar. Look, there's still plenty of pride in the Hawthorne camp. Alistair Clarkson... A great coach. They don't often get cleaned up several weeks in a row. So, I don't know. I think they can find something. It's not going to be enough, though. You have to tip Melbourne pretty comfortably in this one. And I'm going to go for the Demons by 40 points. So, they're the two Twilight games on Saturday. Just one game to be played at night. 7.25, Marvel Stadium sees St Kilda taking on Port Adelaide. Interesting clash this one. The Saints very much back in the finals hunt and Port Adelaide looking increasingly shaky against any decent teams. Uh, they are still favourites, however, in the head-to-heads with Palmer Bet. You can get $1.78 on the power. Palmer Bet offering $2.05. 
on the Saints at Marvel Stadium. A major key to the Saints turning their season around, says Stats Insider, has been their defence. And they've averaged conceding just 51 points over the last four games. In St Kilda's first 10 games, they gave up at least 250 uncontested possessions on five occasions. That hasn't happened even once in the last six games, which is something Port should be worried about, especially considering how much their own uncontested game has dried up recently. Uh, They are looking a bit pedestrian in the power. They've really missed some of those exciting youngsters. Uh, What are they thinking about in terms of their 22, Finey? Well, they can't consider Zach Butters. He returned to the seniors, but injured his knee, so he is out. And Xavier Dersma did return through the sandfall, so there's a chance they could bring that exciting youngster back into the team. As for St Kilda, Dean Kent was brought in as a late replacement for Mason Wood. Does he hold his place? Um, Sandringham, St Kilda's alignment in the VFL, did have a good win. Jack Loney kicked five goals by Tell Best on ground. And Josh Battle, who was rushed back from the Gold Coast to play in that game, performed admirably. So all of those would be in line for a promotion. I think they might go with Josh Battle if they make any changes. I'm flabbergasted that Port Adelaide are the favourites with Palmer Bet. Maybe if um, you've got a few shackles lying loose, have a look at it because I mark St Kilda as clearly the team to beat on recent form. In fact, <laughs> here's something that's counterintuitive. The only niggle that I have and concern that I have is that St Kilda are playing at their home ground at Marvel Stadium because none of their recent good form has been at Marvel Stadium. They haven't been there for quite a while, in fact, because they didn't play. They played Sydney up in Sydney, Adelaide up in the north of Queensland. They had a break and then three good wins, two at the MCG and one at Gold Coast. So can they turn around what has been some very sketchy form Marvel Stadium for a victory. I think they can because they're playing darn good football. And the big factor that I continue to hark on about is the return and the form of the two Ruckman when together St Kilda are five and zero for games played in full by Ryder and Marshall. And they are a great combination. The midfield seems to be functioning particularly well with Dunst and providing a foil for the informed Jack Steele, who's now being talked about as a Brownlow possibility. And all in all, with a forward line serviced well by Membry and by King aerially, I think St Kilda can do a number on Port Adelaide, who relies so heavily on Wines and Boke in the middle that I don't think have the depth to go with the Saints midfield at the moment. No, St Kilda for mine. I've got no qualms in tipping them by 17 points. It is a real oddity that the record of the away side in this case is uh, recently at this venue is actually better than the home side. Uh, Just having a look at it, the Saints have played eight games at Marvel this season. They've won only three of them. Uh, The last of them back in round 11 against North Melbourne, they did beat Hawthorne there. And uh, that comeback win over West Coast early in the season. But uh, their form there, certainly nothing to write home about, including a couple of absolute shellackings, 100 points plus against the Western Bulldogs and 75 points against the Bombers and 86 points 
against Richmond, although that one does seem like a long time ago. Port, um, they have a pretty reasonable record of late at Docklands. In fact, they've won three of their last four outings there, including both this year. Uh, comfortable wins over Hawthorne a couple of weeks ago and in the first game of this season against North Melbourne. The other thing that would encourage the power is their record over the Saints. You'd be aware of this one, Finey. It's very good. In fact, they have won nine of the last 10 meetings with the Saints. Can they win this one? Well, of course they can. Uh, I'm just not sure they will. As I said, I think there's something increasingly pedestrian about them. They've lost their zip. And I think not having Butters, not having Dersma, Rosie, uh, a bit up and down, I think that has been a big factor in their demise as a potential premiership winner. Your boys, on the other hand, well, uh, very impressive at the moment. I've got to say, looking at all the contenders for final spots, right now, if you could select, say, the bottom two teams in the eight to go into a finals campaign with some sort of chance of going all the way, I would put St Kilda number one in that group. They've done it before. They've knocked off good teams. They're up and about. Their senior hands are playing terrific footy. Uh, They need to keep winning if they are to sneak a top eight spot that uh, not all that long ago looked highly, highly unlikely. I think they'll get the job done here and uh, not by a lot, but I think they'll do it by enough to give them real hope of playing finals for a second year in a row. I'm going for the Saints by 16 points. That leaves us with three games to play on Sunday. Let's have a chat about them. It's the battle of the northern Melbourne suburbs. North Melbourne taking on Essendon at Marvel Stadium, 1.10pm Sunday afternoon. Uh, This was a clash earlier this year, which saw a very comfortable win to the Bombers at the same venue, and they are certainly well favoured to repeat that performance. Palmerbet offering a dollar thirty-four on the Bombers head-to-head against the Roos. North Melbourne, you can get three dollars twenty-nine there. Stats Insider say the Bombers have a twenty-nine point seven percent chance of making finals now, and in a season where only eleven wins might still get you in the eight, a relatively robust percentage might hold them in good stead. You've also got the league's easiest schedule from here, according to Stats Insider's schedule difficulty model. A quick note on North Melbourne's Jai Simpkin. Just 23 years old, but ranks top three at the Ruse for disposals, clearances, tackles, contested possessions and goal assists. Meanwhile, he's amassed 11 more inside 50s than any other Ruse. A good player. And, uh, look, he's putting his wages earned to good use, finally. I saw him interviewed post-game on Monday night, and he and a few of his teammates have invested in a crypto horse. Yep, you can now get crypto horses. So, interesting times if you're a young AFL footballer. Uh, Any other investors in the crypto horse at North Melbourne, uh, a possibility for a game this week? I'm still scratching my head as to what a crypto horse is, Rowan. Um, but no, I don't think they'll make any changes, actually. They've had that great win over the West Coast Eagles, and quite frankly, why would you change a team that's had clearly your best win of the season? As for the Bombers, Dyson Heppel can return, and Braden Ham, the medical sub that was unused, 
Unfortunately, Kyle Langford is going to miss a number of weeks with a hamstring injury. That's a bit of a pity. And Sam Gleeson might come under some sort of uh, examination, given that Heppel will return into the back line. There you changes for the Bombers. And Essendon are finals bound. That remaining fixture gives them a great opportunity to work their way into finals contention and grab a spot in the eight. And as good as North Melbourne was against the West Coast Eagles, I think coming back to the scene of a fairly convincing win early on in the season means that Essendon should be fairly confident to take on North Melbourne. And the confidence, I think, stems from the absolute cohesion and drive they are getting across that back line, Rowan. We've sung the praises of Ridley, as we should. Now add Laverde, Nick Hind, the returning Dyson Heppel, who's had a particularly good season, and Redmond into the mix. And you really have not only a defensive unit, but actually an attacking unit at a ground like Marvel Stadium that plays a really strong hand and gives Essendon plenty of opportunities up forward. So I can't go past Essendon with that informed back line to do a number on North Melbourne. I think it might be a bit of a number. Teams that, like North Melbourne, have good wins, but generally are pretty young, can have wavering form. So without being too... um, without trying to offend North Melbourne supporters and being too harsh, I'm going to say Essendon by 43. Uh, Yeah, well, I sort of get that. And I think that last point you made is actually a pretty good one. I go back to the last meeting between those teams. Uh, North Melbourne had just won their first game for the season, a big win over Hawthorne down in Tassie. And right from the opening minutes of the follow-up game against Essendon, they just didn't look competitive. They were right off the boil. So, look, you can bet your life that David Noble and co will be uh, focusing on that in what is still a short turnaround coming back from Perth, and that's a factor too. But uh, they'll be very cognizant of the fact that the Roos sort of let their guard down after a great win last time, so let's not make it two in a row. Going against that, though, um, I think the Bombers, uh, their form... At Eddie, Eddie Head Stadium, Marvel Stadium, sorry, has been as good as it's ever been over the last year or so. In fact, they've won five of their last six there, and the one they dropped, they should never have dropped it, was that one-point defeat against Hawthorne in round one this year. Uh, impressive enough last week uh, against Adelaide. There's a new sort of consistency about Essendon. They're winning the games they should win. Uh, Their defeats have been either close or against sides that were a fair bit more advanced than them. So that's not the sort of quality you've associated with the Bombers in recent times. And I think uh, that's another reason I reckon they'll get the job done here. Cole Langford, definitely a loss, by the way. He's had a pretty good season, again, as a sort of forward connecting through the midfield. And he'll be a loss. But Dyson Heppel, he's had a cracking season given his veteran status, and he'll be a very handy inclusion in that lineup. I'm going for the Bombers. I don't think they're going to win with the same ease they won last time. That day it was uh, 72 points. I'm not talking about that sort of margin, but I do think they can win this one by in the order of five goals. And in fact, that's exactly what I'm going with. Essendon to win by 30 points. That's the first game on Sunday. Let's move to the second. 
Well, this is an indication of how far things in football have turned. Uh, this is a clash of traditional rivals, normally one which attracts reams of publicity and pre-game build-up and the phrase, no matter where they are on the ladder. Well, I think it does matter this time because I haven't heard a peep about this game. Is this one of the least publicised Collingwood-Carlton clashes in history? Well, either way, it's on 3.20pm Sunday afternoon at the MCG. Now, this is as close as head-to-head get, uh, betting gets in this round. Palmer bet have installed the Blues, a very marginal favourite, paying $1.85. Collingwood paying $1.95. Uh, those odds may change a bit leading up to game time, so check them out at your Palmerbet app or at palmerbet.com. Stats Insider say that if as expected, the Blues miss the finals for an eighth straight season, their defensive efforts might be most to blame. They rank 16th and 14th in clearance and metres gain differential this year, while they are one of only four teams to have conceded at least 1,400 points already this season. Thankfully for them, we're not exactly talking about an offensive juggernaut where Collingwood is concerned. The Pies have the league's fourth worst attack, and only Hawthorne is generating less than the Magpies' 47.9 inside 50s per game. That said, they did come home like an absolute train in that big win over the Tigers last week. Uh, anything on the selection horizon for either the Pies or Blues, Finey? Not a lot. Uh, Will Kelly for the Pies injured his quad in that win. Now, Mason Cox... Went back to the VFL, kicked a couple of goals. But I reckon Jack, I reckon Jack Ginovan, or Ginovan, I'm going to go Ginovan, uh, is ready to make his debut for the Pies. He kicked four goals, which makes it 11 in three weeks. And time is right for him to have a crack at the top level. As for Carlton, Liam Jones was a late withdrawal. So I, they wait to see whether his back problem that flared up just close to game time has settled down. He'd come back in for Tom Williamson, who's very much a revolving door player. And Zach Fisher, I think, is ready to return to the seniors after his ankle injury. He played a game in the VFL on the weekend and he's good enough to come into the seniors, surely. And he could be a replacement for Will Setterfield, another one of these revolving door players who seem very comfortable at VFL level, but not quite up to AFL level for Setterfield. And for Williamson, both, that is the ongoing tale. You know, you know what? It's hard to pick a winner in this game because both of them have shown some form in recent weeks, but not enough that you could hang your hat on. Collingwood, we know, are trying some younger players. And Robert Harvey's short period as interim coach, he's happy to give the youngsters a go and they have performed pretty well. Can they put their best foot forward early on in the game because they finished like a train against St Kilda as well. But their first three quarters was parlous. Uh, they only need to turn those things around and maybe start positively against Carlton to put a break on them, on the blues that Carlton would be incapable of hauling in. Harry Mackay is going to be the best forward on the ground. Of course he is. He's leading everybody in the race for the Coleman. So he needs to be stopped and that'll fall to Roughhead with no Darcy Moore in the team. Cripps, 
struggling at the moment, but we know that Walsh is in excellent form. So given that probably the star shows fall to the Carlton side, I'm going to tip them not with any great confidence, but with a belief that maybe get the ball up forward and Mackay should be the difference and could be the difference. I'll give Carlton the bob of the heads on this one and pick them by 13 points. Yeah, it's a tough one uh, to tip this. One thing, again, uh, history probably determining my tip here, and that is uh, the Pies have had a terrific record in recent times over Carlton. In fact, they have won 12 of the last 14 clashes between these two teams. That is a run extending all the way back to 2013. And there was something about that burst last week against the Tigers. I know they did it against St Kilda the week before, but I thought their last quarter last week was more ominous in terms of a corner having been turned. Now, uh, they don't want to just be the last quarter specialists. They play like that for the bulk of the game. They'll win this one well. Can they do it? I just think something suggested to me the, uh, the light bulb went on for more than a few magpies. Can it continue? I think it can. Uh, and that's no disrespect to Carlton. They certainly hung in there against Geelong. Ridiculous inaccuracy. Costly indeed. One goal, 13 at one stage. We'll certainly need to clean up their uh, conversion if it will be a chance of winning this one. But I think the Pies might have hit on something the last couple of weeks. And I reckon they can continue it. So I'm going for Collingwood. Not by much, but in a, uh, a reversal of the 1970 grand final margin. I'm going for Collingwood to win this one by 10 points. That leaves one game in round 18, and it's in South Australia. Final game of the weekend is at Adelaide Oval, and it sees the Crows taking on a hapless West Coast, 4.40pm Eastern Standard Time, this clash. Palmer bet, well, West Coast form has been shocking over the last few weeks, but they go into this game still favourite, playing $1.64 head-to-head. And the Crows, even at home, you can get $2.27 on their prospects of beating the Eagles. West Coast opponents have won the uncontested position count in 11 matches this season, say Stats Insider, which is the worst number in the league, as too are the 247.6 total uncontested touches they're surrendering each game. Thankfully for West Coast, the Crows are one of just two teams accumulating less than 200 200 uncontested touches per game. So West Coast might get some respite from getting continually ripped apart on the outside. It's also important to note that the Eagles rank 15th, 15th and 11th for tackle metres gained and stoppage clearance differentials, respectively. Not encouraging stats. Indeed, they've had some uh, epic battles over the years, these two, often with surprising results. Surely the Eagles have got to make some changes and surely the Crows do as well, finally, after, uh, well, two diabolical performances by both these sides last week. It's it's just hard to know which way they go at the selection table. I mean, if West Coast are fair dinkum, they look at Jack Darling. He's kicked one goal in the last month. Jeremy, Jeremy McGovern, 
since returning from injury has been poor, but I don't think they can afford to drop either of those. They will make some changes. And a youngster, mid-season recruit Connor West, had 33 disposals in the waffle, and he might make his debut for the side. Harry Edwards, unlucky to be dropped. The young defender a few weeks ago could be recalled into the side as well for Jackson Nelson. I think that there might be a sparing of the rod for one last week for the West Coast Eagles, maybe one last chance for some of their big names. As for Adelaide, Tom Lynch ready to return. He's had a couple of games in the Sandful and last week returned with some high possession numbers and a couple of goals. Taylor Walker, they reckon is right after recovering from his neck injury. So there are a couple of big ins for the Adelaide Crows. Unfortunately, Tom Dode cannot be considered with concussion protocol. He goes out of the team and a couple of others. I'm not quite sure which way they'll go in terms of omissions uh, for Adelaide and maybe maybe that young man Frampton could miss out. I'm not quite sure exactly which way they'll go, but I will say this. I'm going to give West Coast one last chance and boy, oh boy, do they not deserve it. But you look at that lineup, Rowan, and you just wonder how on earth are they not winning games like the one against North Melbourne at home on Monday night. They've still got a forward line that has the potential to kick heavy scores. Liam Ryan should be doing better. Kennedy and Darling, we've seen them so so often over the last few years provide a combination that is irresistible, but at the moment it's not working. You know, I just can't understand why they're not performing better. The back line reads well, the midfield reads well. I, as I say, I'm giving them one more chance. Adelaide seems to be running out of a bit of steam. They've had a good year for a young team, but their recent form suggests they are looking towards the end of the season now. So one last chance, West Coast. I'll tip you by 20 points. I've got to go the odd number, 19 points. I'm more confident about this tip than I should be, really. And by that, I mean more confident about West Coast winning. Uh, their form has been horrendous, none worse than a home loss to North Melbourne, a wooden spoon candidate. But um, this is one of those ones where I've got a lot of faith in what has happened previously between these two teams and the venue and the fact uh, Tom Duday is an omission for the Crows. And I think when you're coming up against a forward line as big as the Eagles is, that is a particularly damaging loss couple of other things. The Eagles have won six of their last seven against the Crows, most of them reasonably convincingly. And they also have a terrific record at this ground. They like this ground. In fact, they have won eight out of 10 games at Adelaide Oval. It's a pretty decent record for an away venue interstate. So uh, the other big obvious factor here too is motivation. The Eagles... They've got to find something or they're going to miss out in the finals. Adelaide's finals chances, obviously, shot to ribbons some time ago. So it's all about the future for them. Look, they need to find something after that appalling 2-9 last week. What a miserable, pathetic scoreline that was. So uh, they're not short of motivation. But West Coast has more real motivation. They have the record. And uh, as you said, 
on paper, they still have plenty of capability. So can the missing link be found? I think they can go some way to restoring it and at least keep themselves as a credible uh, top eight finalist. On that basis, I'm going for West Coast to win this one by 18 points. That wraps up our previews. And I think that is a good signal, Finey, that we should jump in our little football time machine and take off to a wonderful, wonderful football landscape of the past. Fantastic footy flashbacks. Well, as you know, Finey, recent weeks I've been picking a game from each upcoming round and harking back to a previous meeting between the two sides involved. And I've done it again. And this one was pretty obvious. Look, Thursday night, Geelong Fremantle in Perth. It's going to be pretty big. But uh, thinking about previous Geelong Fremantle clashes, they didn't come any bigger than when these two sides met in a final, a qualifying final in 2013. Historic occasion. The first final played at Geelong's home ground. A considerable advantage and uh, my memory is that not a lot of hopes held for the Dockers. Boy, did they make a statement this day. An incredible game, incredible result. And we've got a little highlights package to refresh your memories about how it all unfolded. Back towards the goal square. McFarlane, a little rusty, pushed off the footy by Blitzarves. Mazungu in there to support. Crashing through. Kick comes out. Is that a goal? It is the goal. Guthrie runs onto the football. Now he goes searching Barco. He can just get the ball and go or handle over the top. Might be Stevie J's turn again. He runs inside. Can he do it all again for the Cats? Absolutely he can. Over the last 10 years, Fife eventually got it to Barlow. Tough one. Well done, Pavlich. Taylor was in the box seat there and still he goes the skipper. The right boot beckons. He swings it around. That is the captain's goal. Pierce has been a lifter. Not a great handball from Sanderlands. Out for Caddy, but again they cough it up. A sign of the pressure. Spur takes the footy. Goes long. Was that one touched? Four in a row for Fremantle, I think. He's... Just off to the left. There's a mark taken by Walker. No, fumbled. Vardy tries to get out of the Dawson tackle. Blitzov, clever. Stokes, Potsiadli. He's found a way to get through the purple haze. Over the top, a chance for Kelly. He's got Christensen on short. Little one over the top, Johnson not on for either. And now it's Stokes who's chosen. Two men over the top. Motmop is one. Difficult pocket. He's a magician. Can he get him back in front? Cats in front! Just doing some basic maths. One in the unspeakable Sanderlands. Brilliant down to Barlow. What about that Ruckman to Rover? Walker flew high there. It came at the back to Kelly. Sends it towards the 50. Tough one. Oh, that's a brilliant mark by Lee Spur. That was a terrific grab. Lee Spur's been a star today. Cruising on through Hill. Well, he only had half an opportunity and that's all he needed. So it's a high ball to the top of the square. Vardy's there. Podzi Adley! Oh, those hands so strong. And this to get Geelong back into the lead. 
Another lead change. Podsiadli read it well, took his time. Sandlins does the brilliant defensive stuff. Pavlic, Lonigan put on the tackle. Main received the ball and came his way. So he was six straight in finals coming today. He missed earlier this afternoon. This is on the way. It is all the way. Varko gets it from Guthrie. What about this, Rivers? Oh, Pavlic, the skipper. Captain, courageous. Incredible effort. It's Fremantle's game to lose here. Sanderland's the big fist. Oh, look at that hill. Somehow off the interchange bench and into his hands. Maybe it's Fremantle's day. Walters is on. Hill keeps going. This to send them into a home preliminary final for the first time in their history. Well, I mean, that was a real coup for Ross Lyon, wasn't it? At, at that point in time, there was no, no coach held in higher esteem than Ross Lyon, who had pulled off this fantastic victory over the Cats on their home soil. And you just have a look at some of the players. Isn't Chris Main a survivor when you think that he kicked an important goal in that game and went to Collingwood? There was a time there he was considered sort of a mistake recruiter almost and told that he'd soon get his marching orders, but he's still there. And what a great goal to finish off by Stephen Hill. In fact, I forgot how brilliant that goal was, Rowan. Yeah, it certainly uh, was the uh, the final nail in the coffin. The man who was just superb in this game was Michael Barlow for the Dockers. 32 disposals, three goals. He was brilliant for them. Aaron Sandilands, a big presence in the ruck, 31 hitouts and a goal. All the key players stood up. Matthew Pavlich, the skipper, 2-3, could have had a few more. But fair to say, this is one of the biggest finals upsets of the modern era, given the venue. It set Fremantle up for a, uh, a real crack at a premiership, and they nearly got there, of course, going down in the grand final by only two-and-a-half-odd goals to Hawthorne. Haven't been back to those dizzy heights but maybe they can channel the spirit of that qualifying final win in Thursday night's home clash against the Cats. Now, Finey, I think you might have a Western Australian flavour in your flashback this week. Am I right? Well, absolutely. I'm. <laughs> it's funny. I, I know now that you are looking to take us back in time to a game that's going to be played in the upcoming round. And I've gone back around because that incredible well, surprising win by North Melbourne over West Coast on Monday, had me recalling. In fact, during the game, I thought, you know what? Could we have a similar finish to a game back in 2013? I don't want to give away the ending, and we're going to play it very shortly, but it was between North Melbourne and West Coast. It was over in the West, and it involved a very exciting finish. So let's have a listen to these two teams that provided the upset on Monday night, going for it, hammer and tong, all the way back in 2013. Friday night thrillers here in Perth. Marston stood his ground. Spills wide, taken by Kerr. Little chip pass short to the pocket. Latrobe juggles it once. Couldn't get it the second time. He was lunging for it. The ball goes out of bounds. Breathtaking finish here. A minute 35 to go, boundary throw-in. This is where Nat Newey often jumps third up. He didn't go this time. So Cox does the ruck work. Shuey, who kicked the last oh, goal, carried oh, forward. Oh, oh, wow. 
Luxury's kicked two goals, one tonight. This to put West Coast in front. Terrible kick off the boot. And what about that Black, who's been so fantastic at the other end, getting back down and deep and taking what might be a match-saving mark. Less than a minute to play. North Melbourne by four points. Look out of defence then. Knocked down in front of the pack. Gaff. Adam Sell would know where to go. Adam's tackled him. The ball goes across the boundary line. Second one was high on the ground. It's going to be a free kick, and it's going to Adam Selwood. Selwood about 70 metres out, sends it long down towards full forward. McNury! Oh, McNury, hold all week. Red Scott said he couldn't believe it. Well, isn't that amazing? I mean, that was just... That was just... How could anyone mark that? But if he can jump as high as he can jump, I guess you just jump on the pack trap. That's a couple of times there. He's had that beautiful run, able to jump at the footy. That's a fair mark. He may kick after the siren. The pressure is palpable. Nick Natanui, star billing all week. The outmastered Manjack Gore, the miss for the Eagles to outlast North Melbourne at the very last gasp. And he's put it through. Eagles win. A remarkable game of football. High fives all round. Well, that was an incredible grab by Nick Nat and an ice cool finish. And uh, boy, I've got to be honest, uh, you know, as, as great as he was to watch win that game, I did feel incredibly sorry for the Roos. They couldn't have done more to win in Perth against a very good side. And they'd led virtually start to finish and pipped literally at the post. And it actually got even worse, finally, because that was probably the defeat which cost North Melbourne playing in the 2013 finals. Of course, that was a year. Essendon got thrown out of the finals and replaced by Carlton, who were the next best performed team. Uh, the Blues, however, had 44 points and a percentage of 106.7. North Melbourne finished that season with 40 points, but a percentage of 119.5. So yeah. had they hung on and won that game, it would have been them playing Richmond in that elimination final. Of course, Carlton famously beating Richmond in that final. So sliding doors moment, that one. Uh, Nick Nat could have been the man that cost the Ruse a finals berth. But uh, a great uh, example of his capabilities and uh, a massive win for the rapturous Eagle Hordes. That should make them feel a bit better about what happened on Monday night, shouldn't it? Well, I was trying to find something to ease the pain. Interestingly, for North Melbourne, late in that game, there was a good mark taken. In fact, it was the kick, their last kick out of defence, was taken by their leading goal scorer that night. And a player who just never quite hit the heights as a league footballer ended up at Geelong. Do you know who I'm talking about? Uh, Aaron Black. Yeah, spot on. It's funny, he... He sort of, early on in his career, he looked very promising, didn't he? But he just, unfortunately, maybe injury, but certainly inconsistent form meant that he'll go down as could have been rather than was a very good player. Well, there you go. Two uh, great moments for supporters of the West Australian clubs. Uh, Never let it be said, we don't look after you Perth people listening to this podcast. We look after everyone who listens to this podcast, including Finey 
our wonderful sponsors, of course. We are proudly brought to you by Palmerbet. Play the punting advantage this footy season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. And our long-term sponsors, finally, give them another shout-out. The best burger boys in town head to 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park, beautiful part of Melbourne. And in those sort of um, leafy suburbs and some beautiful old architecture, you'll find a great burger. Thank you, everybody at Andrews. And speaking of architecture in those suburbs, some of the best. Who's responsible for it? West Point Properties and Nick Spartels and the team. What a great combination. The best burger in town at Andrews and the best build in town, West Point Properties. And the best stats in town brought to you by Stats Insider, a sports and data-driven industry leader providing model projections and analysis to more than 15 sports across the world, including this year's British Open, which starts on Thursday. Also home to some of Australia's best independent sports writing and analysis, everything free to use. Check them out, statsinsider.com.au. Give them a follow as well on Twitter, at Stats Insider. That's it for our Round 18 preview edition. Uh, make sure you tune in to Footyology Final Siren, our Friday night football post-game live stream, live on Twitter and Facebook from 10.45pm following that massive Richmond-Brisbane game. Should be a lot of fun. Always is. Uh, we will be back in podcast form on Sunday night, of course, to wrap up this same round we've just previewed. And uh, look, if you want to support us in a meaningful way, you can do so on the supporter page, wherever you're listening to this podcast, or at the many links for Patreon, a wonderful platform supporting independent publishing and journalism for just $7 Australian per month. You can become an official Footyology patron and we're always grateful for your support. So thank you very much. Good luck to your teams this week. I hope they get a win. hope they keep their finals prospects intact or if they're out of finals contention, at least have a rare moment of joy. We'll be back on Sunday to talk all about what happened. We'll catch you then. 